Well, we're turning to First Samuel again in chapter 30. First Samuel and chapter 30. We'll just read a few of those words again. we we'll read from verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken, on, taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, gave him bread and he did eat, and they made him drink water, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah. And upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Amen. Let's ask the Lord's help as we consider the scriptures tonight. Father, we bow before thee this evening and we pray that thou hast apply these things to our hearts, uh, whether we need to have uh, this exaltation tonight or whether it will be useful to us in time to come that we might draw it from uh, treasures old and new in a time of need. Be never wanting, as we are told, where the danger tarries. Lord, we pray that we might have in our armory uh, the teaching of the word of God, that we might be able to turn to it and be encouraged by it, even as David was encouraged or encouraged himself in the Lord. And we pray, Father, that it could be that we have these things, that we might speak them to others, that we might be able to recall them as a comfort to some other person. And so, Father, there are many reasons why the word of God is so important to us. We pray, Lord, that thou wilt help us to uh, consider it and to lay it up in our hearts that we might use things for thy praise and for thine honor. In the Savior's precious name we ask. Amen. So I want to consider these words really from verse 7 uh, down to the end uh, of verse 15. 
Uh, we won't go further than that this evening, but I uh, want to consider those things. So uh, there will be a, a slight overlap with what we were talking about last uh, time, which was a couple of weeks ago, uh, because it is the foundation of what, uh, what follows on, really. And so I want to consider with you just two points this evening. Uh, first of all, David's humble inquiry, and secondly, David's happy encouragement. So David's humble inquiry. First of all, we can see how that David, uh, having been uh, spoken against by the men that had gone with him up to fight with the Philistines and had been turned away by the lords of the Philistines, and we noted that last time, how that uh, God delivered him by the hand of his enemies uh, and how the Lord is able to use even the world to turn us back from uh, a path which is a wrong one for us. I find it interesting also, uh, maybe we'll come back to think about that as well. I didn't include it in my notes, so I'll say it now. I find it also interesting that this young man that they found, the Egyptian, had not eaten for three days and three nights. And it was on the third day that David came back from the, uh, from the Philistines. And so at the same time as David left the Philistines to come back to Ziklag, this young man fell ill and was left behind. It's a tremendous thing to know that God sees all things before they occur, uh, that God has things lined up that they might fall in place just at the right time. And we thank God that he is in sovereign control of all. But when we see this contrite heart of David, we see it really in the words which he uses when he speaks to the Lord in verse 8. It's because here we find that there is a, a speedy repentance from his willful wanderings to an obedient following. First of all, then, he comes to Abiathar and he is turned from being uh, distressed. Uh, we, we read there in, the, in verse 4, the David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. He, he was greatly distressed. Uh, in verse 6 also, David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Now, he could so easily have been greatly distressed in himself also. He could have wallowed in, in self-pity because, well, he had tried to do the right thing. He had in his mind perhaps what he was going to do if he had actually got into battle with the Philistines, that he would be on the rear ward and perhaps he might be able to turn to help the people of Israel at that time. I don't know what his plan was, and we've noted before what kind of a plan that he might have had for that time. But he doesn't just wallow in grief. And that would have been a dangerous thing, wouldn't it? And this is something that we often do. We read of Jonah in the whale's belly when he prayed before the Lord and spoke of those who forsook their own mercy. And so often we forsake our own mercy. It's not that we uh, don't come back to the Lord and forsake his mercy, but we, we don't forgive ourselves. And we thank the Lord that if we walk in the light, that is, if we return to the Lord to walk in the light, uh, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And that is the promise of God, but sometimes we are afraid to walk in the light. We're afraid, even when we come back to the light, that God won't forgive us. And the thing which is holding us back isn't the forgiveness of God, it's, it's our own forgiveness. We shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have gone down that path. What was it that, stopped, that allowed us to go? Where was the Spirit of God when we needed to be turned back from that way? 
But so often the Lord uses even our fallings, our weaknesses, our failings, as we saw last week, as Daniel was preaching last week on Peter and how the Peter denied the Lord. But when the time came that he was going to be crucified and we uh, read uh, in in history that Peter was uh, crucified upside down, by that time, Peter wasn't denying the Lord. They led him away, refused to repent, and they crucified him for it. He was strengthened even by the failings of the past. And sometimes it is our sin and the way that we have gone which strengthens us for something which is yet to come. And we read also in Second Corinthians, in the first chapter, how that uh, the apostle Paul suffered. And he was comforted by God. And he says that the comfort which God has given me will also be useful to comfort you. When you come into problems, I can help you. I, I will be able to comfort you with the comfort wherewith God has, has comforted me. So sometimes uh, we won't forgive ourselves for things that the Lord would forgive us for. for. It, it came to my consideration some time ago of that verse in the scripture, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. And whatever the correct interpretation that there is, what came to my mind at that time was when we come to prayer and instead of considering the Lord's grace and mercy and salvation and forgiveness, we are considering how great our sin is and that God can never forgive us for our sin, that God is not strong enough or God is not kind enough or God is not loving enough to forgive us for what we have done, then we are regarding iniquity in our heart and we are saying that our iniquity is greater than the power of God and the love of God. We are regarding iniquity in our heart and the Lord will not hear us because we're not looking to his glory. We're not seeking him who is able to do all things, but we are saying, oh, well, he can do all things, but he can't save me. He can do everything. There is nothing that he cannot do. But he can't save me. I have thwarted his power. My sin is so great that God can't deal with it. Isn't that just a, a turn of pride within our hearts? A perverse kind of pride. I'll give you, but nevertheless, it is pride to think that we are greater sinners than God can deal with. But David has this contrite heart and it's a speedy repentance. You see... This is the third day that he has come back. And if this young man had been uh, set aside by his master three days ago, then Ziklag had been burned three days ago at the very least. And if he had waited any longer than the first day, as soon as he returned back and the people and himself had wept and there began to be this chatter about stoning David, if he had waited and said, oh, I've lost everybody, I've lost everything, God has taken it all away, it's all because of my sins and what am I going to do? And he had gone away and wept in a cave somewhere for a couple of weeks, he would have had no opportunity or ability to recover all. And so a speedy repentance is very, very important. Today is the day of salvation. Turning to the Lord now is the time. We can't wait because we can recover. But we can't recover if we keep carry on down the same path. We have to turn. And so we see in, in his contrite heart this speedy repentance is a swift request also that he gives. He's not wallowing in self-pity and forsaking his own mercy. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, we read, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do it now. Do it now. Turn now. David did not have the time or the luxury of self-pity. A moment's hesitation could have meant that he and his men lost everything. And then we see that David has this, com- this confident hope in the Lord. He has a, a hope in the Lord's grace. And we saw this last time. We went through a, a few different things concerning the Lord as David encouraged himself in the Lord. So I'm not going to go back over that ground. But now just to remind you of a couple of those things. First of all, he has a confident hope in the grace of God. That it was not too late. It's never too late. Never too late. Do it now. And so here he is and everything's gone. And it seems that, well, it's too late. I've come back and the, the, the city is burned. Uh, my, uh, my wives and um, A.W. Pink makes a point on the fact that this is added into the scripture because David shouldn't have had two wives. As the scripture said, don't multiply wives. But, and that's why he says he, he thinks that is there, just added in. And David's two wives were taken captive because, well, that was obvious, surely, on the surface, if all the wives had gone. But it's, it's added in, in particular. But here we see that it, it, he, he turns to the Lord and, and he trusts that it is not too late. Even yet, if, if he comes to the Lord now and calls upon the Lord now, the Lord is able to turn everything back to the good. Reminds me of the words of Psalm 31, 15. We saw this in the prayer meeting. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute thee. Persecute me. My times are in thy hand. Uh, the Lord says today, now is the accepted time. This is the time. Right now. Not tomorrow. Not later on this evening. Right now. Do it now. That is always what the Lord uh, advises and and speaks to us of and commands. Do it now. Do it now. It doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be done later. But it can definitely be done now. Do it now. And so we see this confident hope in God's grace. A confident hope in the living God who could accomplish anything. There was nothing that David thought that that God couldn't do. And even though everybody had been taken and the whole city had been burned and they had been gone, well, he didn't know at this point, of course, until he meets with the Egyptian. He didn't know how how far back it had had occurred. Uh, Perhaps he might have been able to give something of a guess from the smoldering of the ruins uh, and say, well, that didn't burn down 10 minutes ago. Uh, That burned down at some time. There's just a few embers left and... This looks like the burning of, of, of a day or more ago. He might have been able to make some kind of an estimate. But he didn't really know. But even so, it's not too late. The Lord can turn anything because God is almighty. Because God not only is almighty, but we see from the Egyptian who had fallen ill three days earlier at the same time as David was being sent back from the Philistines. Not only can he accomplish anything, but he has things already in hand. Before they call, I will answer, we read in the scripture. Before they call, God is already there. God is already ready. God has already started the work. We don't know that. And yet, there it is, all in place. 
And so we need to have a confident hope in the Lord. David's humble inquiry, first of all, then, is this contrite heart. He repents. He doesn't wallow in self-pity. He requests of the Lord immediately a swift request. He has a confident hope that God is able and that it wasn't too late because it's never too late with the Lord. And then also here, his compliant heed. His compliant heed. He, is, he complies to the Lord. And we note this, and uh, perhaps it went a little early with uh, saying these words from verse 8. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And when we see those words, Shall I? Shall I follow after them? Is it possible to overtake them? And, and, and you pick from those words the, the fact that David is really saying to the Lord, it may be that this is a judgment and that all of these people are gone. It may be that it is your purpose uh, to punish me in this way for my folly. But is it possible? Can I pursue after them? Shall I pursue after them? Shall I overtake them? If it's not the will of God, then I won't go. But if it is the will of God, then I will go. But I humble myself in the presence of the Almighty here. The Lord is God. And his judgments are right and true. And I cannot answer him one in a thousand. We read that the Lord answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all we think of a man who jesus healed in the temple or rather he healed him uh, from his blindness and he goes and afterward finds him in the temple and said unto him behold thou art made whole sin no more lest a worse thing come unto thee sin no more lest a worse thing come unto thee well in my uh, judgment good or bad as it may be on that portion of scripture he went immediately and told the Philistines that it was Jesus who had healed him. And perhaps that was the sin. Uh, that he had, uh, not the Philistines, I'm with the Philistines now. Uh, with the Pharisees, went and told the Pharisees immediately who it was who had healed him. And uh, encouraged the Pharisees really to go and pick him up. So uh, I, perhaps that was the sin that the Lord spoke of. But lest a worse thing come upon him. And it was possible, of course, that a worse thing could come upon David here. It was possible that he had already lost his wives, uh, who he shouldn't have had, uh, but he had already lost his wives. He had lost uh, the men's wives and children. He had lost all of these things, and he could yet lose his life because they could stone him to death. Or he could become an outcast, even if he managed to escape and end up living some, in some uh, part of the far reaches of the kingdom or another kingdom indeed. Far away from the Lord. There's, there's a, there are worse places that we can be than where we are. And the scripture teaches us turn. Turn now. Now is the day. Now is the time. Do it immediately. And that's what David did. And because he did that, he was able to catch them. And he is able to recover all. So much then for David's humble inquiry. We see also here David's happy encouragement first of all the message that fortified him pursue for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all 
without fail. I mean, those are amazing words, aren't they? That God promised him that you will not fail. If you go, you will overtake them and you will recover all, not just some. Or you will get a significant victory, but you will recover all. And without fail, you will recover all. What a tremendous message that is. But the scripture is filled with such a message for God's people. That we should press forward, that we should press onward, that we should trust the Lord and the Lord will fulfill his promises to us. We have so much in the scripture which can encourage us if we read it. There are so many who, if they were honest, would say, well, I've never actually read the whole of the Bible. I've read portions here and portions there and I've read chapters here and chapters there, but I've never actually read through the Bible. And if I have, I've read through it once. There are yearly reading plans, of course, which we could follow and read it through every year. And if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you've read the Bible 50 times. But how much do we actually read the scripture? And if we do read the scripture, do we actually think about what we're reading? Do we ask questions of it? Do we hide those things in our hearts? Do they mean something to us? Do we pray first and say, Lord, give me a, give me a verse out of this portion of scripture? And sometimes you won't get particularly a verse out of that portion of scripture because it might be a list of names. And uh, if you're not very good at pronouncing uh, words from the Bible, especially in those, uh, I, I find this very ironic, those self-pronouncing Bibles, where it's all split up with little signs, and uh, they're supposed to help you to pronounce the word, and you can't even put the word together, let them pronounce it. But you may find all those, those problems. There's not really a verse in there, but sometimes there is a little gem in the middle there somewhere. Or it may occur to you to think about some name which comes up and you've seen that name somewhere else and, and you get out your phone. Lots of people have smartphones these days and you look up that name and it tells you it's somewhere else in the Bible and you go over there and you find another verse from that portion. And you've also made a connection between two things. And there is something to encourage you. We, we, we need to be doing that. Not just reading a daily reading book like a horoscope, but actually knowing the scriptures, reading the scriptures. For there is the message which fortifies us. And then we see this in David's happy encouragement, and that is the men who followed him. The men who followed him. In First Samuel here in this chapter, in verse 6, we read that just again. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Here they were. The people spake of stoning him. It's just the men. Remember, the women and children are gone. It's just the men there. They are speaking of stoning him. That must have been a, a frightening situation, being surrounded by these uh, strong, uh, no doubt, uh, sweaty men uh, after they've been riding for three days or walking for three days. Uh, they weren't in the best of mood. And uh, we often find that men don't play very well together anyway at the best of times. And so... To be in the midst of 600 men and there's a rumor going around they're going to stone him must have been quite frightening. But then when David goes and inquires of the Lord, he has done the right thing. And the Lord has said, thou shalt pursue and shalt without fail recover all. And David went, he and the 600 men, they all went with him. Even though a few moments ago they've been talking about stoning him, as soon as David says, right, the Lord has said that we're going to go and pursue them, we're going to overtake them, and we're going to recover all. 
And they all fell in behind him and went with him. That's a tremendous encouragement. We need to press forward. There's much to discourage us in these days. So many uh, discouragements in lots of churches after this COVID epidemic. And people uh, haven't returned to churches and, uh, and congregations have dwindled in places, including our own. But should we wallow in sadness or should we say to the Lord, well, what shall we do? Shall we go forward? Shall we press on? Shall we go out and preach the gospel? Lord, you're able to empty a place and then fill it mightily. We need to go and press forward. The men followed him. So David went, verse 9, he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Bessor, where those that were left behind stayed. Some of them were weak. Some of them, they had been traveling for days. I don't know how many days, I presume it took three days uh, to leave Ziklag and go with Akish toward the battle. And then on the third day, uh, they, um, uh, they were rejected and had to come back again. And that took another three days, that's six days. And now they are heading after people uh, and they had left behind this servant three days ago. So they had a three days head start. And so they had three days at least to catch them. Uh, maybe they had gone back to some kind of a base. We don't really know where they were at the time, but even then, uh, three days away. And when they caught up with them, they had been going for nine days. Some of them just didn't have the strength to cross the brook, and they stayed there. But the 400 still went on with David. I find it interesting then also that when the Amalekites uh, uh, were defeated, there were 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. So that was an equality with the, the, with the force that David had, and yet David slew them and overcame them. And some of them escaped. Young men, well, perhaps children, perhaps they are youths who weren't really fit for such a battle when the older men, the experienced warriors, were being defeated right and left. And some of them escaped from there. But what a battle that must have been. But the men followed him. David's happy encouragement that men followed him. The men who fell. Well, or the man who fell, rather, this discarded slave, a discarded slave. Verse 11, and they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and he made him drink water and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins and when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. David said unto him, to whom belongest thou and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt servant to an Amalekite and my master left me because three days gone I fell sick so here's this man who fell David's encouraged once again because this man who fell is not an Amalekite and he's, Egypt, he's an Egyptian and yet David we see the, the, the grace of God in David's heart once again he doesn't just simply go up and say well you were with them so you can go I'll dispatch you straight away but he feeds him, he waters him, he nurses him, if you like, back to strength, or at least as much strength as he needs to be able to go on with them. It's also interesting if he fell ill three days earlier, and he had had nothing to eat and nothing to drink for three days, that he is able, after receiving this food and water, to rise up and go with them and lead them to the group. So it must have been some kind of a base that he knew. They weren't just wandering at this point. 
Perhaps they'd gone back to their own town, their own village, or their own fort, or whatever else it may be. But he knew where it was. But he had the strength to do that. He had recovered without food and water for three days. And he recovers with what David gives to him. We see the Lord's hand upon this once again. How that even in his weakness, he he seems to be empowered. Perhaps because he had been a slave. Perhaps he had been abused as a slave. And David has been kind to him. The the scripture tells us always, of course, to be kind and kind to our enemies. To bless them which despitefully use us. Those who persecute us. And David shows that once again. Here is this heart. It's not surprising then that David is called the man after God's own heart. So we see a reflection once again of God's goodness. David, of course, in his humble inquiry, his contrite heart, his confident hope, his compliant heed to the Lord, trusted that the Lord was good. Because God's heart is good. And then we see it reflected in David when he comes upon this Egyptian. He feeds him, strengthens him, gives him water, and he asks him who he is. And he tells him who he is, and he says, can you bring me down to those men the man says well if you swear to me by god that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master he obviously doesn't want to go back there again who left him there to die i will bring thee down to this company and so he does so here again is this happy encouragement that the lord has left someone there who can actually bring him to the place and it suggests to me, or it doesn't actually say this in the scripture, but it suggests to me that here is a man who not only knows the place, but he knows the weak points of the place. He doesn't like his master, and perhaps he doesn't like the whole company of the Amalekites. The Amalekites certainly don't seem to be uh, particularly nice people, as we read through the scripture. That's why God uh, was their perpetual enemy, uh, because they had fought against Israel when they came out of Egypt. And perhaps he didn't like any of them and would, would, would uh, rejoice to see them smitten. But it's interesting that God has someone there, a scout, this man, a discarded slave, but a destined scout. Someone who could go before them and say, well, this is where they are. And their weak points are here and here. And if you come in at them from both sides or if you enter through this particular way, they won't see you coming so they go and of course they are not expecting an attack we can see here what was going on they were eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the philistines and out of the land of judah they weren't ready for an attack david is able to go in with his men and defeat them and as god had told him recover all the world is not an enemy that God cannot overcome. Sometimes we look at the enemy and if the people there were of such a, a great amount that 400 could escape and, uh, and yet we see that, uh, that David um, smote them from twilight even unto the evening of the next day. That is a day. I'm taking that as being a day. Uh, the evening of the next day, of course, in the in Judaism, the day starts in the evening. So I presume that was from early morning. They broke in upon them from twilight. Maybe that's what they've been told. You need to go in there 
early in the morning while they're still sleeping, while they're uh, <coughs> uh, overcoming their drunkenness and their dancing and their weakness, go and smite them there. But the battle still lasted all day. And he had 400 men with them and 400 escaped. So how many were slain? Who knows? But he was able to re recover all. God gave the victory. And it's the same God that we worship today. That's the point, isn't it? God has not changed. God is just exactly the same. He is just as mighty, just as powerful. And he is able to give us the victory as he gave David the victory. Of course, the times have changed. We're not in the same situation as we were in David's day. And the things which are around us have changed. But God has not changed. And really, when you consider people, although their habits and their way of life and culture may be different, people are people. People are weak. People are proud. People are unbelieving. And God is able to overthrow them in a moment. So our need then, if we are to draw something in conclusion from this, that we need to turn to the Lord now, immediately. Not waiting, not feeling sorry for ourselves, but turning to the Lord, calling upon him, saying to the Lord, Lord, the work is thine. What wouldst thou have us to do? We are ready to go forward, should we go. And if the Lord says, go forth, and thou shalt surely recover all, then the victory is ours before we begin. And may the Lord bless us with that determination. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank thee that we are able once again to come before thee and to consider the scriptures together. We thank thee, Lord, for the blessing of thy word. We thank thee, Lord, for its poignancy. We thank thee, Lord, for the uh, small parts of history, but the huge amount of teaching and instruction in so few words. And we are amazed, Lord, at just how much is contained in the few words of Scripture. Uh, Lord, we pray that thou wilt help us to read that Scripture it is like the concept of a of a TARDIS. When we look on the outside, it seems very small. But once we begin to see the inside, it's expansive. So much so that we never come to the full understanding of everything and never remember everything. Lord, every time we come back to the scripture, there is something new to find, something new to discover. It's a tremendous and blessed privilege to have thy book and to have the Lord even as an armour of light upon us. So bless us then, we ask thee, and continue with us and direct our steps that we might be about the Lord's business. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.